I'm speaking on Acts, uh, the message and the mission, and I've chosen to do Acts, or they've given me Acts 2, which is kind of what we call Pentecost um, in the church world, and it's kind of where the modern church as we know it today began. It began at Pentecost. Now, I'm going to have a little look at Pentecost in a minute and, and, and what happened there, but you know, I just called my message this morning, everything has a beginning. Do you believe that? Everything has a beginning. For all you people that are married, right? Your marriage began somewhere. It began with a date. Can you remember the date? And then, then it began with a kiss. Can you remember your first kiss? You might not be married and you may have kissed somebody. Can you remember your first kiss? It, it began somewhere. Relationships begin somewhere. Or you remember your first car. Right? You remember your first car you have. It begun, it begun, it began, it was built somewhere in a factory. It came from somewhere. It came from, maybe the metal came from the ground. Everything has a beginning. School. First day at school. Who remembers that? I can't actually remember my first day at primary school. I can remember kind of primary school, but I can't remember. Maybe because I'm getting a little bit older now. But I can't remember my first day at primary school. I can't actually remember my first day at high school. I can remember the build-up and what people told me about high school. You know, your head's going to get flushed down the toilet. That was my big brother telling me. It happens. They put you in the cubicle and they put your head down the toilet. It's like initiation ceremony when you get to high school. I can't remember the first day, but I can remember the build-up. I can remember walking into school and then putting you in the, in the hall and then them picking you out one at a time to go in certain classes and groups. And then the people who were left at the end were in bottom class. It was terrible, terrible way of doing it. Oh. But you know, everything has a beginning, doesn't it? Everything has a beginning. And I know what you're probably thinking. Well, does, did God have a beginning? And where was God? And where did God begin? We always go to that question, don't we? But we're not going to go there. Um, Francis, no, not Francis of Assisi. I can't remember the quote. He says this. Anybody asked, people asked, used to ask him that question. Where did God come from? And what was God doing before, before the world began then? And he says, well, this is what God was doing. God was creating how for people that ask silly questions. So I can't remember who it is. If you Google it, you'll find it. But it just made me laugh. I was looking at this one. But, you know, everything has a beginning. And Acts, in Acts, the church had a beginning, okay? And we live in that church today, which part of the New Testament church. After Jesus, we live in that today. But I want to talk about this a little bit, about beginnings. Because we had a beginning. You had a beginning. You were created. You were made. You were formed. And you were born you began somewhere. Some of you may have been accidentally, you, you know, it might have been an accident that you begun, right? Or you're welcome in church if you're accident. It's okay. We love you, right? There's no such thing as, as accidents in God's houses and in God's world. But, you know, you may have been one of them, oh, that's an accident. We weren't expecting that. God expected you. Amen? But, you know, everything begins somewhere. And I want to speak about this today because I think it's important to understand where things begin, you began somewhere. But also, faith has a beginning. Faith has a beginning. Some of you may have had a faith when you were young. Some of you probably still are young and you question, do I really have a faith? I have some ideas, I have some thoughts about God, but do 
I really have a faith? Do I believe in God? Do I trust in God? But faith has a beginning. Some of you may have, when you were younger, heard Bible stories. And you know, you listened to the Noah's Ark and they got all the animals out and they put them in. And you were like, wow, God really did that? And you had a faith at a young age. Or you heard the story of Joseph and how amazing at the plan that God had with Joseph. And he took Joseph all the way through. And eventually he became the, almost the top man in uh, Egypt and he helped God's people. This amazing story of restoration. You may have heard Bible stories when you were little and gone, wow. Something inside of you, you go, wow, I've got a faith. And you've carried that on through the years and you're here today. Some of you may have just come to church recently and you've gone, do you know what? I've heard a message and I've got a faith. But you know, I don't know about you, but as you go on this faith journey, your faith can get knocked a bit. You were like, my faith begun back there when I was little and I began back there when I was in school or high school and it started, but it's been knocked because life is hard. I prayed a prayer and I thought God was good, but it didn't get answered. So I started with a faith, but I'm not quite sure anymore. And did all them animals really fit into that ark? Now I'm getting older, I've got some more questions in my head. Did God really start the world in seven days? Did he really do it in seven days? These are the questions we start to get as we get older. We had a faith, but it gets not. Somebody in my life who I love died and it just got me to ask questions is God really good and does God really hear my prayers are you with me but faith has a beginning and I want to go back to that beginning today and maybe there's people here that you've begun that journey that's great or maybe people you've got questions but you've not started that journey of faith fully and it can be ignited today and you can go on that journey some of you may have had your faith knocked a little bit and you can get it reignited again does anybody want a new beginning Because I believe you can get a new beginning. I believe God wants us to have a new beginning. doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, your past. God wants to give you a new beginning. God wants to give you a new start. That's what he promises in his word. He promises it time and time and time again. From the beginning of the time when he made the world, he goes back to the people and he keeps saying, I will. I will restore. I will redeem. I will refresh. I will heal. I will pour out my spirit. And there's promise after promise after promise for his people. So God wants to re- reignite. Woo! Anybody want to be reignited? Anybody want to be restarted? Anybody need a bit of fuel in the engine? Now, I'm not here to give you fuel, but God will. God will refuel. God will reignite. It doesn't matter what's gone on. Doesn't matter, you know, how much disappointment and discouragement and disheartenment that has been poured into your life, even though you've asked God and even though you had a faith, God can reignite again. God can restore again and He can use everything that you've gone through and redeem it for good in His kingdom. That's what He's into. So we're talking about what God can do and God's promises. We read in Ezekiel, He talks about, I will give you a new heart. I will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. So there's a promise for God's people for their heart to be restored and to be redeemed and you to get a new start. And that can happen. We can have it faith and we can start and it can get knocked, but God can restart again. I know that personally. I've experienced that a couple of times in my life. You go on and you think, I'm going to do this. And in the Bible, there's people, examples like Peter. 
Peter started with a faith. Jesus trusted in him. He believed him. And, you know, he went with Jesus. And then when it came to the cross, we see that he denied Jesus and was completely disheartened and discouraged and felt shame. But what does Jesus do? He goes back to him and he finds him and he reignites his faith again. He restores him back and he sets him up. And we're going to read about him in a minute. The guy who was disappointed, disheartened, denied Jesus gets a new beginning again. Anybody want a new beginning? doesn't matter what you've done, what's gone on. You may have disappointments. God still believes in you and he wants you to have a new start. It's not God that's disappointed with your faith. It's usually you or the devil that tells you that you're no good. God says, I want to restart with you again. I want to ignite you again. I want a fresh breath in there. Now, we have something to do, mainly get out of the way, but God wants to give you a new beginning. Everything has a new beginning. So where do we begin? Let's look at Acts. Does anybody want to begin again? I think maybe you might be on fire and thinking I'm okay, but it's always good to remember where we go back to to begin again. Because there might be times where we, we're struggling. And hopefully I'll take you today to the source of what we do when we're struggling. Does anybody want to find that place? So stay with me and we'll go to where we begin our faith, okay? So let's have a look in Acts chapter 2, what happened. This is an amazing, amazing chapter. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to the rest of each of them. All of them. This is amazing, isn't it? Not the one who was really spiritual, right? Not the one who was praising and shouting more than everybody else. No. All of them. You know, every color, every shape, every size, every inadequacy, all came together. And it says... All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And it goes on to say there was people from all, and it explains who all these people are. You know, this isn't a a bit of a bizarre beginning, don't you think, for the church? If I was going to begin a church, I would get a banner and some leaflets, and start preaching, okay? I wouldn't make a loud noise of of thunder and fire. The welcome team would be freaking out. The health and safety people would be telling me, we're not having fire in the building. We're not having loud now. We need our kids. We need things on our ears for our kids. We're not starting the church like that. But God says, this is how I'm beginning my church. With a loud noise and a fire. I'm say that a bit louder, eh? With a loud noise and a fire. It says it was like fire on every one of them. It says it was like thunder, like, like a loud wind. It didn't say it was a loud wind. It says it was like a loud wind and it was like fire on each one of them. 
What an amazing start. What an amazing new beginning of a wind and a fire. Anybody want a wind and a fire? See, God starts with a wind and a fire. He blows a fresh breath into you and a fresh fire that ignites in you. You don't do it. He does it. They were all together waiting, seeking God and praying. I think there's a key in there about prayer and being at one. Being united, being at one, seeking God, getting your motive right. You know, I'm not here at church for me. I'm here for God. What does God want? Coming together as we meet together, regular, and seek God in your small group. And, you, you know, with your faith, it's just like a mustard seed. It's starting, and I don't quite understand it, but I'm asking God. And God's saying, have I got a people who will meet together and seek me? Where I can breathe a breath into them, set a fire on them, where the church can grow. Can you see what I'm saying? This is the start of the church then, and it's a fire, and it's a wind. And I wouldn't have started church like this. We'd have had 2,000 leaflets. We'd have had them in every house. We'd have had a banner outside. We'd have put, you know, we'd have put mission weeks on, and God puts blinking fire and wind to start. Why? Because God had a plan. And the plan didn't start on that day. He hadn't organized it on that day. He didn't send leaflets out. He organized it. Hundreds of years before. He, he, he organized it before the beginning of time. Where we don't exist in that time. Why? Because God had a message and he had a mission. So if you go back to Leviticus, you'll find in Leviticus when the people come out of Egypt, they didn't know how to live. So God said to him, I want you to do this. I want you to every so often have a festival. Anybody like festivals? Anybody like celebrations? God's up for parties. Okay, he's up to celebrating what he's done. So he said, what I want you to do is I want you to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover was what happened in Egypt when God came and rescued them with miraculous signs. And he, put, he told them to put the blood of a lamb over their doors. And when the spirit of death came in or the angel of death came in to bring judgment, God's people were saved and they were rescued. So he said, remember that day with a Passover meal. So he said, what I want you to do is have this festival of Passovers. Then he said, I want you to have the festival of first fruits. Because when they came out of Egypt, God blessed them with abundance with their crops. And he said, just remember me. Put me first and put your first crop first and bring it to me as an offering. So what they will do is as the crop grew, they'd get the first bit of the crop, not wait until it had all grown. Most of us do that, don't we? I'll wait till I've got enough, then I'll give God some. No, by faith, the first crop's coming. So as soon as the first crop's coming, in faith that the rest will come, I'll give the best first. That's what faith does. Not think, oh, well, I have enough money to give. No, 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 no. I'm in faith to trust God for the rest of his provision. So he gets the first fruit. And he says, remember the first fruits. Then he says this other festival. The festival of the weeks. Or in the New Testament, it's named in the Greek... Pentecost. This is the Pentecost. This day is the celebration of Pentecost. And on this day, I want you to bring some new, new grain. And I want you to offer a sacrifice. And what you'll do is you'll wave the lamb. Anybody want to do some lamb waving? What a great church that would be. The church of the lamb wavers. Woo! Everyone think you're off your head. How are we going to get people in the kingdom? Wave lambs. Come on. Meh, meh. Wave your lambs. Come on, what a church this is. Woo! You think you're off your head? Lamb City Church. <laughs> Lamb City Church. You're hearing it, church. We'll wave lambs. I'll have a brown one, a white one, all different. We could sell them. We could have like our own brand and have lambs. Lamb on the back. 
lamb bracelets. We'd be amazing. The church had flourished. But in, in the festival of the weeks, they, they brought a lamb offering and they brought grain. But here's the deal. Why am I telling you this? Because God started back then with a plan, with a message and a mission. And he said, what I want you to do is meet together. Remember the Passover. Remember the first fruits. And remember. And there were some other festivals, but I haven't got time to go into them. Read them in Leviticus 26. He says, the festival of the weeks. And what you do is when it's the Passover, seven weeks after, okay, seven weeks, which is 49 days, do your maths, 49 days, I want you to bring a celebration. And then on the 50th day, which Pentecost means, Pente means five, 50th, I want you to bring the new grain. And that's the day you're going to have a celebration. So this is the day that God had ordained in Leviticus 26. And it said, for any God-fearing people, remember me. And that's why on this day, all them Jews are there. Because they'd not forgotten God. And God had a plan. A plan better than the internet. See, if we were building church, we'd be on the internet. Let's use the internet. This amazing thing where we can communicate all around the world. And the message will get out. God says, I designed the internet. I was networking before you were even born. And I planned it in Leviticus because I said, if you come together and bring my network together from every nation that I've positioned you in, I'm going to send you out with a message and a mission to every nation. I'm the designer of the internet, he says. I'm bigger than that. And then on that day, are you still with me? We're going to be a Lamb City Church. <laughs> right? On that day, this is what happens. They're all there, Jews from every nation. I haven't really got a clue what they're doing, apart from this lamb waving and this new grain celebration, the festival of the weeks. But God's got them hidden from a greater plan. It's for every nation. So all these Jews are coming who've reverenced God. And do you know what? I, I thought about this and thought, do you know what? All of you keep coming to church, come on, for a reason and a purpose. And some weeks you think, why do I keep doing it? Why do I keep doing it? Because God wants to equip you, empower you to get out of this room into other areas of this world. So I want to encourage you, keep going. Look, look at the destiny on these people's lives. These people reverence, it said they were God-fearing Jews, and they came to Jerusalem from every nation. God had covered every nation. He'd planned it in Leviticus and put the seed back there in Leviticus into the minds of his people. So in, in Acts, what we've got is a network of people from all over. He's nailed the internet. And then he uses something else. He gets them speak all their languages. God says, you think you've invented Google Translator? I'm the one who came up with Google Translator. I'm the designer of all things and made all things. I am the one. So then he does this. He presses his Google Translator button and he puts his spirit in people and all languages begin to come out of them, connected to every nation. Wow, what a plan this is. How's God going to get his message around the world? I'll bring every person from every nation, then I'll use my Google Translator and I'll translate in their language so that they know the message. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? What an awesome God we serve. But I'm here to tell you this. That's not where the message began. And it didn't, it didn't begin in Leviticus. It's not the source of our faith. You know, if you come to church and you have an experience of the Holy Spirit, that's not where your faith begins. I remember when I wanted to speak in tongues because my mum spoke in tongues and I was going to give my heart to Jesus. And I said to Jesus, if you give me this language thing... I'll believe in you. I want to hear it myself, what it is. I don't understand it, but you, my mum speaks in a language that I don't know, and she prays in it. I've heard her. She doesn't know I'm listening, but I'm listening. I've heard her singing in it, and 
praising in it. And I said, Jesus, if you give me that language, I'll believe in you. Do you know what? I never spoke in that language until I gave my life to Jesus. So, you know, as much experience as we have of an experience of the Holy Spirit, that's still not where our faith begins. You can see a miracle. You can see, you can be, see blind people see again. You can see healing. You know, you can, you can see people's legs grow, but that's not the beginning of your faith. It may get you asked some questions like this. What does this mean? What does this mean? And in Acts chapter 2, verse, see where I am. He says here, it says, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, I love this, they asked one another, what does this mean? You know, the first question we need to ask ourselves when we're listening about Jesus, when we're coming to church, when we're reading the Bible, the first question we ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does this mean in Acts? When I've read the Bible and I'm studying for you, I'm not just preaching. I'm thinking, what does this mean? What did it mean to them? Why are all them Jews there? What is Jesus trying to say to this message to those people then? I'm trying to help you to read it in context. Don't just read it from your point of view. What did this mean from them? What did, why was the spirit there? What was happening? Why were they all there? What's the bigger picture? What's God trying to say? And then the next question would be, and I won't go to that one yet. But the first question is, what does this mean? And they ask that question, what does it mean? This is what Peter then does. Peter, who was denied Jesus who needed a new beginning, who was timid, had run off, steps up to the plate. It says this, then Peter stood up with the 11. I think we all need some 11s. Anybody need an 11? You need somebody to stand with you. I think we all need 11s. I think that's the picture of the church. We all need to stand together. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. You'll probably find some people drunk at nine in the morning around the streets in this city, to be fair. But in that day, right, it's nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So, what Peter does is he explains what's happening. He explains to the people. He goes back to the promise of God in Joel 2 to explain. I know you don't understand it. I know you're amazed. I know you're perplexed. But let me bring some clarity to you. Let me bring some foundation to you to explain what this means. And he says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's the promise. Sarah said last week, to all and everyone. Inadequacy, whatever you feel, God says he wants to pour out his spirit on all people. That includes you. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even, I love this bit, servants were the lowest. Even on my servants both men and women. This is a completely change the game, change of culture. 
In the Old Testament, what would happen is the spirit would be put upon the prophets who would speak the voice of God. Then it would be put upon the judges or the kings, and they would rule on behalf of God. Some of them did it well. Some of them didn't do it well. But then it would go on the priests who would minister to the, to the king, but also minister to the people. So that's who the spirit fell upon. And what you would get is you would get the word of the Lord, God's word prompt that came to the people or came to the priest and came to the king. It would filter down to the people. And then it said the spirit would fall upon those people to minister to the whole body, which was the the people of Israel that they were responsible for. That was the pattern in which it, in which it outworked. In this New Testament, God has a different way of outworking it. He says it's going to be poured on all people now. That means you become a priest. Woo! That means you become a priest to minister. I'm not the minister. Does everybody realize that? I ain't the minister. You're the minister. Sorry if that's a wake up for some of you. You become the minister to administer your gift to people. I'm just the person who encourages and equips you to minister so that the church grows, so the kingdom grows. So you become a priest. You also become a son of the king. So you have an authority now sent by the king. Wow. And he said, I will pour out out my spirit upon you. You also walk as someone who has judgment, who can discern good and evil. This is a pretty impressive place that God's bringing us to. So it's not down to the pastor or the vicar or the king of the nation. It comes down to you now. It comes on to you. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I'm pouring it out on all people. And he's explaining here what's happening. This is the day, day of Pentecost, the day of the new grain, of the new wine that's been poured out. And God has given us the lamb. He's the one who's waved it. He put it on a cross. It was crucified for you. That was the blood of the lamb sent for you. Now I'm pouring out my new grain. I've given you my best, my first fruits. That's Jesus. Now it's your job to receive of the first fruits and then to grow in that, a knowledge of that, an experience of that, an authority in that, so that you become who you're meant to be and the body grows pretty good yes this is the call on us as a church so it's not on me it's on us it's on us together to go forward and Peter's saying something so profound here but here's the deal these Jews were expectant they were waiting they knew what the spirit did when it was poured out on Gideon on David And they were waiting for a king for it to be poured on to come and rule again. But God had a different plan. Instead of putting it on the king, which he had done Jesus, it was Jesus had to go so that it could be poured out again on every individual. So that every individual could have authority and grow in who they are in him. So you're to grow in who you are in God. This is amazing. But these were expecting the power of God to come. They were expecting the same spirit on Gideon on them. And they were calling on God and waiting on God and waiting for the power of God with an expectancy and an understanding of the Old Testament of what the spirit was like. So when they're waiting and it turns up, they, they, they're still blind to what it is. What is this? Are they drunk? They don't even recognize it. So Peter has to go up and explain to them by the Holy Spirit and say, this is what it is, guys. This is my spirit poured out. And this was promised by God on all people. But you know what? That's still not where it begins. 
you could have that experience and think, wow, the Spirit's been poured out, but that's not where it begins. So Peter takes him a little bit further, and he says this. Men of Israel, in verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth. Woo! Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then it goes on about David in the Old Testament, what he prophesied about Jesus and about him being Lord of his Lord and that he would sit at his right hand and put his enemies under his foot. This is what David prophesied. So here's the deal, right? Where does faith begin? Where do we start with our faith? And where do we continue with our faith with a mission and a message? It begins with this question. What does this mean to us? It says here, After hearing about Jesus, it says in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So first question was, came from the people, what does this mean? What does church mean? What does God mean? What does the Bible mean? What does all this mean, this faith thing And then it comes down to the people, to you. What do we do about it? This is where faith begins. It comes down personally. You see, the Spirit was poured out on every individual, and it had fire on them. They were corporately together, so the body were together, but actually it was poured out individually. And each of us have an individual choice, not just today, but tomorrow, when the storms come and life hits us, and we get knocked down and we get discouraged, we come back to this question, what does it mean to me still? And the source of our faith is Jesus. Jesus is the source. You know, they did not have this New Testament to read. They didn't have what Luke had written down. There was nothing for them to refer to. They didn't have... The New Testament, they didn't have the letters of Paul that explains about faith. He didn't have any of this. What did they have? They had a man called Peter and some disciples who'd hung around with Jesus, had heard all about Jesus, what he'd said and what he did, and then he died and he came back to life again. The only thing that they had was a message from the disciples who'd seen it with their own eyes who were witnesses to what had actually happened. And you know what? This is what comes to each of us. It comes to you. It comes to me. It comes to everybody in the world. And this is the question. Do we know who Jesus is? Do we believe who Jesus is? Is he the son of God? Is, did he die for you? Was he, res- was he resurrected again? Did he come back to life? And that's the question that we all have to come to. What does this mean to us? What do we do if we believe in Jesus? Are we going to continue believing in Jesus? Are we going to continue holding on to our faith when our prayers don't seem to be answered? When we get treated in a way that we didn't think was right, are we still going to hold on to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith? Jesus is the 
alpha, the beginning, it said in the Greek. He's the beginning. Jesus is the beginner of all things. You want to begin your faith journey? It begins with Jesus. There's no other beginner apart from Jesus. Let's read John 1. Your faith starts with Jesus. Your faith will end with Jesus. One day we'll all stand before Jesus and give account for what you've done with what you've heard. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe? It says in there that they said that Jesus is not only the Savior, but he actually on this day becomes Lord. He's the name above all names. He's the, he's the one who made all things. He is the everything. He is God. Jesus is God. And we stand before and say, is this where we begin? Do we surrender our lives and acknowledge that Jesus is God? Or do we deny him? It says this, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So if we rewrite that. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is the beginner. Jesus is the beginner of your life. Jesus is the beginner of your body. He's the beginner of your car. He's the beginner of this floor. He's the beginner of the air. He's the beginning of everything. And for them, they didn't understand this, but Peter was standing up and declaring who Jesus was. Jesus is Lord. And the question is, what do we do? And this is what Peter says to them. Are you still with me? This is where we all begin. Even when our faith has been knocked, we started and we've stopped. Or even when we begin. It doesn't begin with an experience. It doesn't begin with a healing it can, that can help us, but it brings us back to this question. It always points us to who is Jesus. And he says this to them. Peter replied, this is what we do. So what do you do when we mess up or we get wrong or you haven't got a faith? He says this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. So this is the word that Peter's speaking to them, commanding them. What do you do? You repent. What does that mean? Change the way you think. Stop thinking negatively. Stop thinking about all these problems in your past. You've got to change the way you think and put Jesus first. If you want a new beginning, you've got to put Jesus first. You want to begin again? Put Jesus first. Make Jesus your Savior. Make Jesus your Lord. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You've got to answer this question. Is Jesus just my Savior or is he the Lord of all things? And is he the Lord of everything in your life? Does he, does he have your life? Does he have your heart? Does he have your mind? Does he have your emotions? Is he Lord of all things? Sorry, we're hitting it this morning. Repent. Repent means change the way you think. Now, he's not judging you. He's loving you. But he wants the best for you because he wants to let you live in the new life, in the new wine, in the new grain. He wants to pour out his spirit into your life and renew you and revive you. But you have to change the way you think. You have to think like he thinks. What does he say about you? What does he believe about you? Are you going to think like Jesus thinks about you? Or are you going to think like you think about you? Jesus says, I'm egging you on for a new beginning. But you keep looking back. You keep comparing yourself and you're putting yourself down. Jesus says, I don't do that. I don't judge you. I die for that judgment. Jesus is egging you on to come to him. He says, come to me. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins. Notice the way he puts it round. 
He doesn't say repent of your sins. Because we all look at our sins and go, I'm not good enough to come to Jesus. He doesn't say that. He says, repent, change. God's died for you. God's given you a new life, a new hope. and He's given you a place of security and safety that you can know that God loves you. Just turn to God. And then he says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. What for? For the forgiveness of your sins. Be washed for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't come and change your sins. You won't change your sins, right? Come and live right, but you can't deal with sin. Sin will wrap you around and beat you up every day of the week, okay? Jesus is the one who beat the sin up. Come to Jesus and make him Lord and let him teach you how to overcome sin. That's how we overcome sin, by putting Jesus number one in our lives. Surrendering our hearts to Jesus and enjoying the freedom that he died for my sin. And say, sin, you have no hold over my life. Devil, you have no hold over my life. Jesus paid for my sin and he died on the cross. So I'm not going to try and defeat sin myself when I have a God who defeated he for me and is above all things. Jesus, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus, forgive us the sins. And then he says this, then... Woo! That's not even it. This is like extra. Are we ready? So you get forgiveness of sins by changing the way you think and focusing on God rather than on ourselves. Focus on God and God's forgiveness, what he did on the cross, that he died and he rose again and defeated death for you. That's the start. That's knowing him as savior. But then it says this. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. So we get forgiveness of sins. We get, you know, by believing in Jesus makes us right, we're forgiven. Believing in the word of God, the promise of God in Jesus makes us right. Wow, I'm made right by faith in Jesus. Belief in Jesus is where it starts. He's the beginner of all things. He's the one who is before all things and begins my life again. He's the top man. Jesus gives me a new start. But then he says this, and I will give you a gift. I'll give you a gift of the Holy Spirit. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Because life's hard and, and, and he wants you to overcome the things that you can't overcome in the world. So I'll pour out my spirit. That's why he had to go to heaven so he could pour out the spirit that the blood was, was paid for and God is, accepts you and loves you because of his blood. You're made right with God. Then he pours out the spirit to you so that you can overcome. Woo! How can a man who's timid, right, who ran away from Jesus, stand up on Pentecost and preach a message about Jesus and not deny him anymore because he got filled with the spirit? He got filled with God's Spirit. And it says God's Spirit is not timid. Not timid. It's not timid. Oh, God. No, no, no. It's not timid. It doesn't fear. It doesn't bring fear, judgment. But it brings power. It brings love. And it brings a sound mind. It brings self-control. So you can begin to take control of your life again and go with a message and a mission about what Jesus did in your life. And you might get knocked in your faith at some point, but I encourage you, come back to the beginner. Come back to the one who knows all things. Come back to the name above all names who paid for your sin and get a new beginning. I don't know about you, but I know I need new beginnings in areas of my life doesn't mean God judges me and looks at me and thinks that's not good. No, no, no. He's an encourager. His spirit builds up. doesn't knock me down. He builds me up. And I don't know where you're at today. 
I don't know if you've been knocked or whatever, but I'm going to ask you, come to Jesus. Just make him number one again. And, you know, your disappointment and your discouragements, maybe it's chipped edges off and, you know, the, the seed maybe started, but it didn't take any root and it may be getting robbed. And God says, I want to put a freshness in there. I want to soften your heart again. I want to breathe new life into you. And it's by the Holy Spirit. Now you have a responsibility to repent and say, you know what? I'm going to think differently about that. I'm going to think differently about my finance. I'm going to stop moaning about it. I'm going to do something about it. God changed the way I think. Holy Spirit, empower me to see differently so I can overcome this area that's controlling me. Or maybe you just need to come because you're weary and you're tired. I'm going to ask the band to come up. You know, the thing I love about the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus, what I love about Jesus, he always pointed to the Father. He never, he never, he never points anything to himself. He always points to the Father. Glory to the Father. You know what the Holy Spirit does? Evidence of Holy Spirit in your life is it doesn't point to you, it points to Jesus. Everything the Spirit does points to Jesus because the Spirit is Jesus. The Father and Jesus are one. The Holy Spirit is one. Now, when you look at this in here and you think, fire, wind, what is all that about? What does it mean? Those are some questions you have to wrestle through. But that's not the beginning. The beginning comes from Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. Your life, as you get filled with the Spirit, develops a Christ-like spirit, a Christ-like attitude, because the Spirit is leading you and teaching you and growing you to become more like Jesus. What I love about these in Acts, when they get filled with the Spirit, they don't all, those people from the Jews, they get sent off all different places. But the people that are central in Jerusalem, I love what they do. It was an individual outpouring on each one, but it corporately unites them together. And you see them devoting themselves to loving one another and one another in and one another in and one another in. They met and they read the teachings and did all of that that you can go on to read. But it started by the Spirit being poured out. It started by them making Jesus Lord of their lives. Jesus, you are Lord of our lives. Come on, let's stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing this song. And I just want you to worship Jesus. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you and speak to you. And maybe there's something that's spoken to you today that God can cement in your heart for the future. So let us pray. Maybe there's people in here that don't know Jesus. And I'll give you an opportunity a little bit later. I'm going to get back up after this song. Give you an opportunity to make Jesus your savior, but also give him your life so that you can have a new beginning. So Holy Spirit, we invite you today. Jesus, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We recognize that you are king. You might not have been the king that people were expecting, but you are the king. And we proclaim you king of this world. We make you king of our lives. We give you all the praise and all of the glory in the name of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you to worship Jesus. Open up your heart and allow Jesus to speak to you. Allow him to reignite something in you so that you get a new beginning. Maybe some of you just, you've never started on this faith journey and today's your day to start this journey. And it, it, 
all we have to do is repent. And we've got Baptism Sunday coming up. Some of you might need to be baptized in water because you've never done it. Jesus says, repent and be baptized for your forgiveness. Go and sign up before you go. Or maybe some of you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. You know, you will struggle to know God if you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for you to know God without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals God in your life. So you can go from here and say, I know. I just know that Jesus is alive. Anybody know Jesus is alive? Anybody know that Jesus died? Anybody know that Jesus rose again? How do you know? Because the Spirit is in you. So I want to encourage that spirit in you to come alive today. Are we ready to praise God? Have you got a message? Some of you got a message. Come on, some of you got a spirit of timidity. You need to let that and surrender it to Jesus and make him Lord and let him give you a spirit of boldness and love. Amen.